The word why, what a curious word. The kind of word that can make us cringe, feel defensive, or even distant. But you know, sometimes why is the key. The key that can unlock so much to our lives. Join me as we explore the why with fascinating contributors to the world. Those that entertain us, inform us, teach us about life, and if we're lucky, inspire the next in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and welcome to Headroom, a production of Rainlight and co-produced by Old Soul. Let's go. All right, it's 2024, and a lot of people think of their New Year's resolutions. You know, I myself, you know, give those about 30 seconds, and then I'm sort of on to the next thing. But what I will tell you is that I am very intrigued this year to talk to people that go against conventional wisdom, that look at what the establishment has provided over time, and kind of say, maybe there's a different way. Doesn't mean it's better, but maybe there's a different way. And if it's something different, then maybe we're going to learn from that and we're going to create new pathways of success and opportunity for people across uh, the spectrum and across the world. And I think that our guest today, Sharon Rector, is going to display that in spades. Uh, and I'm selfishly probably going to learn a lot about, about that uh, and her world. And I hope that you do as well. Uh, I want to welcome in Sharon. She's the co-founder and president of First Media, a leading media publisher with over 250 million followers reaching 71% of U.S. women every month across its brand portfolio. As president, she has grown the business from a single linear cable channel to a global media business with over 200 employees across three countries. Within two years of their inception, First Media's social brands, So Yummy, Blossom, Blusher, and Baby First became number one in the world with the most viewed and engaged content. In addition, First Media has also partnered with top brands to create the best performing sponsored video content on Facebook, reaching the top spot six years in a row. Brand partners include everyone from Walmart to Kraft, Heinz, Mattel, Sony, and Facebook. Just a few of the brands partnering with First Media to build and activate audiences worldwide. Their first venture TV with the Baby First and So Yummy TV networks currently reach over 100 million U.S. TV homes combined. You've probably seen her on Good Morning America. She's a powerhouse entrepreneur. She's also the mother of four, which that alone, she should win an award. <laughs> My wife and I could only handle two, so how she's doubled that up, I don't know, but uh, kudos to Sharon for that. She's been honored by cable. Many of you in, in professional women's uh, space know about cable. She's been recognized by Ernst Young as the Entrepreneur of the Year Award in 2019. She wrote a best-selling children's book, The Girl from There at the Age of 11. Uh, she's a public speaker who's committed to helping women lead inspired wives. Sharon, what a one, I had to go through that because I want people to sort of get... <laughs> the breadth and depth, at least at a cursory level, of what you have done. And if our off-air conversation is an indicator of, of this discussion here uh, in the podcast, then then I'm I'm very excited about where where we can go. Uh, and I should share with the listeners that, you know, Sharon had done her research and it was like, look, I think you probably, we're going to go and <laughs> basically down a lot of rabbit holes. And uh, And I love that you did that because that's, I think that's the essence, right? And when you think about young people or those that are thinking about career changes or what their dreams are, it's really, they get inspired by the story, right? It's not sort of maybe the numbers, uh, it's the story. Where does your story start? Where's chapter one, Sharon? I agree. I agree. It, it is the story. Um, wow. Where this chapter one? Can I start maybe from the end? Maybe that will lead to chapter one on New Year's resolutions because you brought that up and I thought that was <laughs> <Yeah>. super cool. <laughs> Um, I made two this year that are small, but, but I, I think powerful one is I'm 48 and I came to my husband and I said, I wrote the list of who we're inviting for my 50th birthday party. And he said, why would you do that? And I said, 
because I want to live intentionally. So if someone's not on the list, we have two years to kick them out of our lives, kind of subtly. But if they are on the list, we should double down on them. These are the people we should invest in. Um, so that was like my first thing I did for the New Year's resolution. And and the second one is I'm 48, so I don't know how many more uh, weeks I have um, on this planet, hopefully a lot, but I wanted them to be meaningful. So I decided that every week on Monday morning, I will write something down of the previous week that is meaningful. So when I look back, I would live. I would say I live a meaningful life. But in order to be able to do that every Monday morning, I also write to myself, what would I like to achieve this week that can make me potentially uh, write it at the end of next week that it was meaningful? And sometimes I make that happen and sometimes life surprises you and something became meaningful when you didn't even intend for it. But it's kind of like life is the ways app. You put a destination and then you recalculate the route. Okay, so if we take that and we apply that to a chapter one of your life and where it starts, because you're the author of your own story, um, what you're speaking to there, it, from my perspective, is sort of the motor, right? The engine that yes. that an entrepreneur will develop over time. Now, what I find fascinating about entrepreneurs across the spectrum, it doesn't matter sort of where on planet Earth, is that as you build that up, that you learn a lot about yourself. And sometimes it's that we can't turn it off. And that we feel like some of the best things that we've ever come up with came when we were really burning that motor at a really high level. And so we have to recalibrate. And so I'm wondering, what is your relationship to pressure? And where would that start at the beginning of your story? So I love pressure. I love, I, I find that best ideas come under pressure. And I will say, and, and maybe that does correlate to the beginning of my story. So I'm extremely dyslectic. I cannot spell a word to save my life. But when I was young, um, that wasn't diagnosed. So uh, what I thought was, here I am. There's something everybody else can do. I can't do it. And uh, I need to find ways around it. I need to find ways to win the game of school, of life, of friends, without people knowing that I'm stupid. So, uh, for example, in first grade, where um, a teacher locked me in the classroom and left because I was the slowest writer, and I, could, and I couldn't get out of the classroom for hours. When I left, I said, I'm going to get this entire workbook done at home. And I am going to pretend the entire week or the entire year that I'm doing this work at class. So no one will ever know. So I finished the entire work of first grade at home and then, and then, and then pretended for the rest of the year. And that has been there through the rest of my life. And then at maybe 17, I read the book of Richard Branson, who is also dyslectic and built Virgin. And, and I said, oh, my God, there's someone out there just like me who had the same issue and overcame it. And today, I think of learning disability, especially misdiagnosed learning disabilities and obstacles, as, as an opportunity because our brain is wired differently. I constantly have, I find different solutions. I see problems differently because my brain was wired in that sense. Um, I love, I know it's. Uh, people say that stress is not great and pressure is not great. I love it. I find it every time the world changes. Facebook, I'm in the social media business. Facebook changes the algorithm in 2018. And a lot of uh, my colleagues go out of business. But what I see is an opportunity. And I try to understand why did Facebook change the algorithm. And Facebook back then changed the algorithm because they wanted meaningful engagement. So, you know, I like to do my homework. So what does a meaningful engagement mean to Facebook? To Facebook, it means a comment with three words. 
So now we adjust the content to comments with three words and we win the game and we become number one in the world in views per post engagement share rate. So I find that every time we make an assumption that there is pressure and nothing can be done out of pressure comes diamonds and opportunities. I don't know if I answered the question. You, Maybe no, I you just did. No, we're down the first rabbit hole, Sharon. Uh, um, okay, tell me about the influence then on, in a world where you are a scientist understanding these algorithms, right? And and people can't see this, but when I asked you that question about pressure, you leaned into the camera, right? You don't seem, you're not someone who sits back and you kind of wait for the weather pattern to impact your weekend. Like you jump out in front of that. You say, I'm 48 and we're going to go ahead and plan and double down on our guest list. So you are not af afraid of gale force winds coming at you. And it sounds like they impact your decisions. So in a world of content, and this is a world that we share, um, I think for the general public, it's sort of, you know, however the industry wants to change things, I guess I'll just sort of figure it out and participate at a very cursory level. Um, but there's so many elements when it comes to sponsored content, micro stories, like social media. How have your your experiences impact the way in which you think about the end user, the one that is actually going to consume the content. Because there are a lot of people that can figure out an algorithm, but I think it's a special person and a special team that understands how to take that and then craft content that the end user wants because that's part of that wheel. So at the end of the day, though, it goes to data because we're not talking about one end user. We're talking about massive amounts of end users, right? So back in the days when we just started creating social media uh, on First Media and, you know, in my industry, there's a joke, you need to raise $100 million to make $100 million. Well, we never prescribed to that. So we started with two people who were supposed to make great content, learn, 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 learn. And now we have 200 people doing this. Um, but what we first did was we looked at data. We looked at other people's content. What is the kind of content that goes super viral? And then we analyzed why. Back in the days, 2016, it wasn't AI, it was Excel spreadsheets. It was what kind of color nail polish versus what background. Uh, for example, when you do a do-it-yourself video, uh, one piece of advice, if you're catering to women, don't use a drill. The minute you use a drill, all women drop. So uh, it's, you know, it's something very small, but you're, you could do be doing amazing do-it-yourself project and that won't work. And then fully understand the consumer insight and then duplicate it. So at First Media, um, Maybe the consumer insight also comes from me. I'm a mother of four. I cannot make an omelet to save my life. But when I take my kids to the soccer game and everybody brings their home-baked cake, I want to be the queen of that party. But <laughs> I have a job, right? So I want everybody to go, oh my God, she did that. So with the consumer insight there, and it goes through every single one of our social media videos, is we will provide women with content that will save them time, save them money, but make them the hero in front of family and friends. And it will be so simple that you will go, oh my God, I can do that. And that's why you will share. And actually 50% of our um, our videos will have, uh, no, sorry, most of our videos, 50% of the comments will be someone tagging another person, which means I think you can do that. Which again, to me, is a testament to, to, to the kind of what we are able to achieve. But then we go back into the research. Right. Then we go back and we actually analyze each and every comment. So we built an algorithm because many of our videos will have north of 10,000 comments of what are people saying? Were we able to actually get what we wanted to get? Are people relating? Are people sharing? Why are they sharing? If we're doing it with a brand, 
are they understanding the brand in the way that we would like them to understand the brand? And maybe there will come consumer insights of ideas for products that neither not us nor the brand even thought of based on how consumers are perceiving the content. So there's psychology, but at the end of the day, it's do your homework, look at the data, and then be creative. So what is your talent? Tell me what you think your talent is. My talent is um, I see solutions where other people see problems. And, pattern, uh, pattern, pattern recognition. I'm, I, yes, and and I and I see uh, and I see scale, and I look for uh, and and when I see those solutions, they're often solutions that other people either decided weren't good enough, um, or can't be done, and I break them down. When I say, well, I think we can do that, and and we the what they say about me at First Media, which my, I, I will take it as a compliment because I don't want to take it any other way. Is first Sharon over promises and then all of us over deliver. And I, and I think it's kind of true because I go, I think we can do this and we could do this differently. And that comes from dyslexia. It really because does. You were, you've always been forced to think of alternative paths. Because I need, yes. And it's also because unlike others in our industry uh, who've raised billions of dollars, we have not. So um, call us creative or call us poor. We've always stuck to things that actually work keeping the bottom line um keep, keeping the bottom line in our mind so i have a sign on my door from the early years but it's still there stay cash flow positive so you control your own destiny um so we've had to come up with creative fast moving solutions we've failed a ton but we did them fast and 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 move and and moved forward in doing that tell me that about the sense. tell me about the name first media where did that come from so do you know how most, not most, but a lot of companies spend $600,000 on taking an agency and coming up with ideas, coming up with branding? Oh, and all oh yeah. Right? So First Media uh, was decided in a 15-minute meeting when the, t and, and, and we just figured, you know what, we're just going to give it a name and we're going to go with it and we're going to make that name mean something. So the, our first, our company actually, like the legal title is still Baby First TV because that was our first product, Baby First. But and then maybe that goes into creativity. In my business, in the cable business, it was well known that when you reach 50 million homes on, on cable, Bob Iger will call and he will say, I want to buy you and I will buy that vacation home I'm dreaming of in Hawaii. <laughs> Except he did not call. He went on TV and said, owning a cable network sucks. And Disney stock dropped 40%, Viacom stock dropped 40%, and we owned a cable network. So Guy, my partner, and I sat down and thought, okay, what do we really own? In addition to households on cable and mothers, 50% of mothers who were watching us for 90 minutes a day, what is the essence of what we owned? And what we realized we owned was trust. Uh, the mothers who were watching Baby First trusted us, not like a doctor, like a friend who had kids two years before them and was simply relaxed. So we said, why don't we start creating content on social media? And that was a team of two for these mothers. And we grew from 47,000 followers that Baby First had to 250 million. And suddenly we had uh, a do-it-yourself brand and a food brand and, and, and Blusher, uh, which is our beauty brand. And the name Baby First was a misrepresentation of who we were. So we said, okay, well, we were Baby First. We like the name First. It's part of who we are. Eh, let's just call ourselves First Media and move on. And that's how it was decided. So I think often we think a lot. We hire the best of people to come up with great ideas. And in other cases, we just make a decision fast and we make it mean something. 
Headroom is produced by Old Soul, a one-stop marketing agency that understands the power of brand and nuance. Reach out to my guy, Matt, at Old Soul and supercharge your brand and content strategy. That's Old Soul. Shoot Matt a note at aoldsoul.com. That's A-O-L-D-S-O-U-L.com. And now back to our guest. I know, I know there's no, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely stretching here, but I just love the, the symbolism that when we talked about the first chapter of your story, you go to first grade, first grade, and now you're a part of what I'll deem as an empire in this regard. And it's first media, it's baby first. It's the concept of first that we, like you've defined what it is to be first. You didn't let the market, you define, you went out and said, fine, Bob Iger, you want to say that? We're going to pivot, right? Like there's something about that. Uh, tell me where that comes from, that, that, that relationship to gumption that you have. Because to me, that's, you know, if I would see you as a, you know, like a, a little girl in a playground at the school, I'd probably go like, that's Sharon, you know what I mean? Like that kind of energy, that confidence, did you have that? Did, was it, were there signs of it? When did it start to re reveal itself? So you'd find this funny and maybe unexpected. But when uh, I was 10, my grandparents died in a car crash, um, uh, both of them together. And they had a son who, who died in the Holocaust when he was three. And only after they died did we realize as a family that I was the one they shared their story with about that boy. So I was the only one who knew his birthday. And their death was very, very difficult for me. And in order to um, process that grief, I wrote a story. And it was part fictional about a maybe not so popular kid in school and part true my grandfather's story of escaping the Nazis. And um, a publisher read it through a contest I submitted in, in a kid's newspaper and they wanted to make a book out of it. And it became the second best selling kid's book uh, in Israel I think ever. And, um, but this was a very popular kid, a very like a very nerdy kid who suddenly became very well known all over the news for being a nerd. Um, and I'm reminding you, I'm dyslexic. I don't think I'm smart at all. So I had this thing for years where I fooled everybody. They all think I'm smart because I wrote this book and it's doing so well, but I know I'm not. So for years, many years. My, my, my way to fight this was not to try anything. I would all just say, I'm not trying anything because that way I can maintain the fact that they all think I'm smart. And then uh, maybe I owe everything to Columbia Business School. I applied to Columbia Business School and didn't get in. And I sat in my room for three days um, and cried. I don't remember eating. I don't remember drinking. I remember I thought the world has come to an end. And I was shocked truly astonished that when I left my room, the sun was shining and that everybody in my world loved me just the same. And the only thing that changed in my life is I was not going to Columbia Business School. I will say at least as a student, because I have had the opportunity to speak there, which is yay, coming back. <laughs> but after um, but after that, I realized I have nothing to fear. And that was a pivotal moment for me. I have never been afraid of failure ever again, ever and I always look at what is my worst case scenario. My worst case scenario is that people will say I'm an idiot. My pe people will say, yeah, she's not as smart as we thought. And I will lose all my money and I will move back with my parents. I love my parents. They're awesome people. 
Uh, so that's not so bad. And I actually think that thinking that people care if I'm intelligent or smart is vanity because most people don't care at all. And they will talk about me for two minutes and they will move on. And for me not to try things because of that, that's the definition of stupidity. So since then, I have not been afraid to try anything. And uh, and that's when I'm successful. But had you met that 15-year-old, he would have been very different. Tell me about your relationship to being authentic. You, you're in a world when it comes to media and, and focusing um, and working with, let's say, the female population at large, right? And the content that is, that, is, that is developed and distributed. If there's ever sort of an area that as a father of a, a nine-year-old girl that I worry about, it's the type of media that she's going to consume that's either going to make her think about weight or uh, what's beautiful or not, or what's the definition of smart for a woman, a relationship with a man in business. How do you ride that fine line? How do we, how do we talk to kids through the content, especially girls, uh, in a way that is is not patronizing, right? It's authentic in its reality, but it's also inspiring um, to the next generation. I think that's a very, very difficult question, especially because on social media, your daughter is not listening to you or to people our age. She is listening to uh, people like her. Um, so I think that's a very, very difficult problem that I don't know that I have a solution for. I can tell you my 17-year-old daughter and I are trying to work on some content of that sort that will come from her and not from me. But I think until solutions are, can a magical solution come up, it's our job as parents. And one thing I see often is that in today's world, parents are trying to be too cool. And we sometimes forget our role as parents. And it is our job as parents to have to sit down with our kids. Uh, the, the question I love to ask my kids when they enjoy TikTok too much is, who do you think is benefiting from the video you're watching now? It's obviously not you. It's a great question. So who do you think, and we go through that, that maybe rabbit hole of who is benefiting? Who's making money off what you are doing now, right now? Who's growing their following? Who has an interest? And that goes to challenging the status quo and asking why, right? But if you ask who is benefiting, and it's not you right now when you're dumbing yourself down, um, I think at least we open their eyes to why they're why certain they're watching certain content and helping them have a choice in what they watch. Are you comfortable being a leader and being named a leader, being acknowledged for success? Well, it's a big compliment. I don't know if it's true, but I think that the only purpose for me right now is making a difference at scale. Our company is is successful. Um, the 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 things I needed to prove to myself when I was young that I'm not stupid and that I can be successful and I can win on those frontiers, I feel I have achieved much of that. Uh, maybe not all, but much. And right now, it's can we make a difference at scale in the world around us um, and leave some kind of mark on the world where we live in? So if that's a leader, I'll take it. I don't know if I am or not. I hope I will be one day. 
feel a sense of responsibility, especially because you're focused, maybe not primarily, but but wholeheartedly in in females and in, in the content and the ways in the audiences that you uh, that you work with. Tremendous sense of responsibility. Uh, you what know, does that look to, like when you like when you bigger and better than me? You know, with great <laughs> power comes great responsibility. Yeah. But um, what does what, it look? Like? Yeah, what does it look like when you? I always think responsibility is interesting when we try to turn off as a leader or someone that people will look to. It's, you know, when you're getting ready to go on vacation, you're trying to sort of turn off that proverbial button that says, I can now just focus on me or or cry for three days because I didn't get into Columbia or, you know, I don't have to think about other people or what the impact is if we do or do not deliver. It's those moments that you don't document that that's when that responsibility can really sort of rear its head and make us think or, or reflect. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I find that it's, uh, in the shower that those, those oh. moments come because, you know, but, uh, because then you're disconnected from everything. Um, I think my job right now is to leverage our platform. And again, it's a for-profit platform. It, you know, we we build business. We start a business now and, line, and la- uh, launch a line of appliances at Target. Uh, that's something we definitely do for-profit. Um, but it's what is the content that we deliver? And I want to say that at First Media, um, and it's acknowledging reality and then thinking of it. So at First Media, would baby first, um, is it ideal that children under the age of three watch screens? No but 90% of American kids do. So can we provide them the cleanest, safest content out there? When we create content for women, um, do we want people to be on their phones all day? Definitely not. But when they're scrolling, can we create content that actually inspires, that actually uh, provides something of value? And then when we look at our additional businesses and additional investments, um, what are we doing that makes a difference? I think, yes, we do. I do, philanthropy in the sake of philanthropy. But I think that's easy. The the big part is how do you make the stuff that you do every day, the big things, the things you do at scale actually have a positive impact. And, and, and that's what I try to do. I have to tell you, sometimes I wish interviews just continued and continued on because I have so many questions and there's only so much time in the day. Sharon Rector, co-founder and president of First Media, focused on this multi-platform channel uh, for women and empowering women. Uh, man, I'm a big fan. And you know what I love about her? And I know we just met, but she's, she's transparent. There's this honesty about her. And I think that we've developed that over time, even on Zoom and even through audio, where we can detect authentic, right? What is authentic and what it means to us. And I just love that about her. There doesn't seem to be any fear. Um, but you know what? There's a healthy amount, I would say, maybe of of reticence uh, in in a way that you kind of have to have just to survive out there. She's an explorer. And I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And I think it was a great reminder that, you know, if we really had our druthers, we'd all live like explorers, wouldn't we? We wouldn't be fearful of what's around the corner. I mean, we might actually celebrate the potential for the win, right? Even if there's a pitfall or two, we do it because we anticipate something new, something exciting, something eye-opening. That's what Sharon does. And she does it and she empowers women and girls. And I'm just a huge fan. And maybe that's the girl dad in me. You know, and it made me think as a side story here, I'm on little sleep because I coach my nine-year-old daughter and her basketball team. These girls, it's incredible. It's like I've got six versions of Sharon Rector 
on my team. And, you know, they started out not knowing the sport and they won their first tournament game. And I got to tell you, I don't know if that excites, I don't know what part of it excites me more, but I can tell you I'm beaming um, through my eyelids. And I just think celebrating, celebrating the courage to put yourself out there, whether it's on the court or in business uh, is really, really important as we think not just about the legacy that, that we want to leave behind, but the experiences we want to have. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Check out more about Sharon Rector and Hearst Media. She's a trailblazer, and I have no doubt that this, this interview will be outdated uh, by the time it is published because she'll probably be on to the next greatest thing because that's what she does, and that's who she is as an explorer and a changer of people's lives. Uh, look, if you are interested in some... Some newsy items, check out fairobserver.com. I have, uh, thankfully, I want to say and humbly uh, accepted a post as editor-at-large at Fair Observer. It's read in 90 countries across the world with writers that are former intelligence officers, current and former prime ministers, professors and authors. And yours truly gets a chance to tell the stories of those that are helping to craft policies that allow us to engage with the world around us. Once again, I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom, where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom. Headroom.